At Global Genes, we know a rare diagnosis changes everything. You weren't given a playbook on how to cope, how to take that next step, and you certainly weren't handed a blueprint on how to build an advocacy organization or successfully bring a therapy to market. The good news is that rare disease advocates are some of the most inspiring, innovative activists on the planet. And Global Genes works to bring the community together to share best practices, create important introductions, and help catalyze powerful collaborations. That's why Global Genes would like to invite you to join us for the fourth annual Rare Patient Advocacy Summit on September 24th and 25th in Huntington Beach, California. The goal of this year's summit is for patients, caregivers, and advocates to walk away equipped with actionable next steps, whether you've been recently diagnosed or building a disease community, thinking about funding early stage research, actively engaged in developing a treatment, or have been advocating in rare diseases for decades. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org forward slash 2015 summit. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The emergence of gene therapy is giving hope of new treatments for rare diseases. Abiona Therapeutics is one of a new generation of therapeutics companies working to address life-threatening rare diseases with this new therapeutic approach. We spoke to Michelle Berg, Vice President of Patient Advocacy for Abiona, about the company, its pipeline, and the hope gene therapy holds for addressing rare diseases. Michelle, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Danny. I'm happy to be here. We're going to talk about Abiona Therapeutics, rare diseases, and, and the promise for new treatment approaches. I, I think it might be useful, though, if you could begin with a little introduction of Abiona for listeners who may not be familiar with it. What is Abiona Therapeutics, and, and how did it come to focus on rare diseases? Certainly. So Abiona Therapeutics is focused on bringing forth gene therapy and plasma-based products for severe and life-threatening rare diseases. Uh, the company was created in 2013 through a close collaboration with a dozen uh, San Filippo foundations to progress the work of Drs. Douglas McCarty and Haiyan Fu from Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And the collective efforts raised nearly uh, $5 million by the end of 2014 to start drug manufacture and steps to clinical trials. Now, in May of this year, the company was acquired by uh, Plasma Tech Biopharmaceuticals, a publicly traded organization that had also been focused on <clears throat> treating rare diseases by utilizing a proprietary purification technology uh, for selecting therapeutic proteins from human blood plasma. The newly formed entity chose to return to the Abiona Therapeutics name uh, as it was felt that it better reflected the commitment to rare or uh, underserved diseases. And just as a, a quick side note here, um, the name Abiona comes from that of the Roman goddess who's said to be the protector of children as they begin their journey. And I think it's a, a quite fitting name. 
We've seen a significant change in the interest in rare diseases by therapeutic developers. What's driven that? Sure. So I believe uh, that there are a number of factors that have contributed to this rise, um, one of which is the Orphan Drug Act of 1983, uh, which again provides funding and tax incentives for drug developers, as well as market exclusivity to stave off competitors uh, for seven years after marketing approval. Um, additionally, parents and patients have, of course, um, always been passionate about finding answers and raising awareness uh, for their particular rare disease. Um, they finally now have a strong platform for distributing their messages uh, loudly, swiftly through social media and the Internet. I think it's given them a, a much better way to connect as a community and, as importantly, has put faces, um, voices, and stories in front of a global audience. And, and it's become... Um, really as simple as the click of a button for people to share, uh, to donate, or otherwise show their support. And so this, I feel, has powered foundations and individual families to raise large amounts of money and put that towards research programs. Um, lastly, organizations like uh, Global Genes, um, Nord, uh, others are also doing a great job of collectively just raising up all rare diseases for better uh, public consumption and, and understanding. And it's all very powerful and I think has really helped to get the attention of pharma and biotech industries and therefore has contributed to the amount of research that's being done in these areas. By and large, as we discuss the world of rare diseases, a large portion of that world consists of diseases that are driven by genetic causes. Since the mapping of the human genome, we've seen enormous advances at an accelerating pace. How do you see this reshaping the area of rare diseases and, and therapeutic approaches? Well, you know, I think that the uh, precision for diagnosis and understanding the best or even the most appropriate path for treatment has become quite significant. Um, no longer are we necessarily just having to be reliant upon um, family history, readouts from different scans or, or physical tests. We can actually get to a molecular understanding of what's happening. And the tools that are being developed uh, will empower doctors and their patients for what we all hope will be a faster diagnosis. And while the therapeutic development will uh, provide a plan of action and a, a path for treatment, uh, I'll use an example a parent um, shared with me recently um, that uh, even though it's likely too late, unfortunately, for his two children, he envisions that um, parents in the future are going to be told you know, that their child has dentalipo, for example, um, but that will be quickly followed by what the plan is for treating that child before any of the symptoms can take hold. And, and with this, um, you know, it's the possibility of what can happen with the information available, the technology that's being developed, and uh, truly, truly exciting to be part of all of it. Abiona has a, a pipeline that includes a number of gene therapies. You're Two lead candidates are for two types of San Filippo syndrome. What is San Filippo syndrome? Okay, so San Filippo syndrome, uh, it's a lysosomal storage disease, uh, also called uh, mucopolysaccharidosis 3. It actually encompasses um, four different inherited forms, which are designated as A, B, C, and D. Uh, each of these result in a specific enzyme deficiency, and that in the end uh, means an accumulation of waste products in the kids themselves. Uh, our programs in particular focus in on uh, types A and B. And the incidence of MPS3 is uh, estimated to be 1 in 70,000 births. Uh, initially, parents are, are presented with a healthy baby, uh, and, and that child continues to hit milestones on target. 
However, by age two, age you know, two to four, they see a slowing of development, and that typically leads to a really unfortunate and challenging attempt to get to diagnosis. And since there's no current treatment available, only mitigation of some of the symptoms, these parents have no choice, really, but to, to watch their children slowly decline. I mean, first it starts, starts with um, behavioral uh, and sleep issues, and eventually they, these kids lose their ability to talk, walk, feed themselves, and, and by late teens, early 20s, it's, it's death. So it's a truly terrible and cruel disease. Uh, how does the therapy work? Are you replacing a single gene? Is it expected to be a one-time administration? We're delivering a correct and functioning form of the gene uh, using an adeno-associated virus with the serotype 9, otherwise called AV9. The delivery method and serotype are important because this particular type of AV has demonstrated the ability to cross the blood-brain barrier when delivered intravenously. And the thought is that one can then treat the whole body uh, through what we believe will be a single administration and deliver the drug to the impacted areas in the brain and other areas uh, throughout the body. And this method is favorable when you compare it to um, a more frequent delivery intrathecally or, or rather into the spine or by delivering by a, a port um, that's put into the brain, both of which are, are quite invasive and prone to other complications. And so uh, what we're seeing preclinically, um, in vivo efficacy studies are showing that there are functional benefits that remain for months after treatment. A single dose has restored um, the cell to normal function, normal organ function, um, have shown uh, corrected cognitive defects, um, and that have remained in place long after, months after um, being dosed, along with uh, an increase in neuromuscular control and uh, increased lifespan of the animals with MPS3, just um, showing over 100% a year after treatment by comparison to those un untreated control animals. Also, safety studies that have been conducted in animal models of uh, San Filippo syndrome have demonstrated that our gene therapy is very well tolerated with minimal side effects. And at this point, where are you in, in terms of the clinic? So uh, happy to say that we um, are now at the stages of manufacture for both the uh, MPS3A and uh, 3B and anticipate that we will be able to start enrolling our first patients uh, for both programs either late in 2015 or uh, very early in 2016. So we're very close. So what are some of the other candidates in, in your pipeline? Sure. So in addition to the two programs focusing on, on San Filippo, we've licensed technology from the University of Nebraska Medical Center, uh, which centers around work by uh, Dr. Tammy Killian. This also uses AV9 to deliver, uh, in this case, the correct form of the CLN3 gene, uh, which is to halt and hopefully reverse the impact of juvenile batten disease. And so Batten diseases, uh, of which there are four forms, are also inherited storage diseases that are caused by a single gene mutation. The juvenile form uh, impacts approximately 3 in 100,000 children, and there's a higher incidence in some um, northern European countries. Um, onset is typically between ages of 4 and 8, or 4 to 8, rather, and these kids again present, um, you know, initially, uh, this time with vision loss and progresses similar to San Felipe to motor and neurological decline and, and eventually, again, end in fatality. Um, as with the, the MPS3A and, and B, 
There's no current available treatments, uh, just control for symptoms like seizures and, and some of the behavioral problems. And so our next steps with that program is to complete what's needed to um, engage the FDA and start uh, building our plan for getting to clinical trial. Um, we have also most recently added uh, a program licensed from the University of Minnesota utilizing uh, Dr. Jacob Tolar's work with the CRISPR-Cas9 approach for gene editing in treating Fanconi anemia patients. Uh, also delivered using the adeno-associated virus, um, this time uh, delivering the functional gene to the fibroblast of uh, Fanconi anemia or FA patients. Uh, in this particular uh, indication, Fanconi anemia affects uh, 1 in 60,000 births and is characterized by a number of physical abnormalities that include um, organ defects, um, also results in typically bone marrow failure, and uh, these kids are at a much higher you know, risk for developing cancers. Gene therapy remains relatively new. What do we know about the durability of these therapies? Sure, it's a great question. And, you know, and I have to say, we're still amassing data and learning about this. However, um, one thing I think is really important to bear in mind uh, is that um, not all gene therapies are alike, and, and then we should really be cautious to lump them together. Um, there are many vehicles, um, many ways for delivery, and it's important that these uh, delivery methods line up properly with the disease and location for manifestation. So, again, that's why we believe our, our approach is very strong with AEV9 for San Filippo and Batten. How about payers? Your pipeline is early, but have you had conversations yet with payers? Any sense of how they view gene therapy and how they feel it should be priced? Sure. So um, to take the first part of that question, you know, um, you're right. It, you know, it is a newer area. And um, and in some instances, and, and considering that, you know, no gene therapy has been approved yet in the U.S., um, yeah, I do think that regulators are, are continuing to um, adjust from uh, the traditional small molecule drugs and um, in working with industry experts to continue to shape, you know, shape expectations and shape how things are approached. Um, with regard to um, payers, uh, you know, again, very early, and um, I can say that we, while we have not yet engaged or have had um, in-depth conversations there, uh, we do know that it's in our future, but right at this point, we're just focused on the task at hand, and, and that's taking our programs to clinics. You're a vice president of patient advocacy. I, I've never met a drug company that didn't claim to be patient-focused, but given the populations that rare disease-focused companies address, I, I do think there's something fundamentally different about the relationship rare disease drug makers have with patients and, and from the typical drug makers. How have patients influenced what, what you do? Sure. Uh, you know, I can say that, um, you know, first off, my role is as vice president for patient advocacy with Aviona. Um, you know, that's the very first role that was hired for after the acquisition. And so um, my reason for saying that is that, you know, it was recognized very early on by the leadership of the company that the relationship with the patients, their families and foundations, it should be one of the highest priorities. Uh, as far as how that's impacted me um, in the short time that I've been with the organization and been working with the families, um, it's been pretty significant. Um, and I, I want to point out, too, that it's not just the parents fighting for these kids, but the siblings and, and grandparents, neighborhoods, you name it. And uh, it's inspiring and it's uplifting to be joining the rare community. And I, I certainly don't presume to have immediate or automatic trust just because we have a proposed therapy.
Michelle Berg, Vice President of Patient Advocacy for Abiona Therapeutics. Michelle, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks again, Daniel, uh, for having me and for sharing your time with me today. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.